A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. I'm Chris Elias. I'm your host. This is uh, this is my show, and and we've got a we've got a good one today. A really interesting one. I've got a um, a gentleman I met recently, a guy by the name of uh, Rob Durier. Hopefully, I said that right, Rob. Um, yep. Rob was uh, introduced to me through our last host or our last guest, um, Chris Homewood. They've known each other quite a long time. Got to know each other in the 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 Marine Corps and having listened to even some of Rob's stories, recognize, you know, either even more about how much leadership is learned during the armed forces, especially if you're an officer and moving in those ranks. And Rob's got some really, really great stories. And um, those stories have led to really some great leadership today. You know, a lot of the same stuff we preach, you know, when we work with clients and all of that, um, it's just just great, great stuff about how to empower people, how to delegate um, properly, get the most out of your people, et cetera. So without further ado, um, Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here, Chris. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit about your history. I mean, it's a, it's a really, really interesting history. You know, you've got a great family history uh, when it comes to, you know, the armed forces and um, in, in life in general. And then, then your history as well has brought you really um, some really great experiences. So share us a little bit of your background. Sure, Chris. Um, well, yeah, I come from a long military family. I mean, three uh, generations now, grandfather, father, and myself. I'm the first one in the Marine Corps. My mom's uncle was a Medal of Honor recipient in the Army, young private that was drafted in the early World War II, was killed in the Aleutians, and then previously uh, awarded the Medal of Honor. And then just growing up in the military, it always seemed something that I was destined to do, because I always loved it. And as I did that, went into the Naval Academy and then 20 years in the Marines, had a great time, operations around the world, got to see, you know, I always tell people in Iowa, I think I've been to... You know, either lived, worked, or traveled in over 58 different countries. And uh, now I live in Iowa, 20 great years, and came here to, for different jobs and had some great times in the Marine Corps as well as in the private sector. So, um, you know, your, your path in the Marine Corps, uh, you know, you really worked a lot around strategic, let's call it strategic planning, um, execution, obviously, getting things mm-hmm. done. Um, yes. tell, tell me about some of your more interesting roles. I mean, you worked with some, some pretty big people. No, I was, I was very privileged later on in, uh, throughout my career to work with some really impressive individuals. Um, early on in my planning career, I was working, uh, initially worked for General Mattis, the former Secretary of Defense. Amazing individual, uh, just a, a wealth of knowledge, a, a tremendous leader, very personable, really understood his team. And related well, I, I learned a lot from him. Subsequently, I worked for General Kelly, who was, as we a lot of people previously know, was the chief of staff for President Trump. Another great leader, very well read, uh, very well spoken, related well to his team. And I was able to work with him personally for two years in and out of Iraq and just trying to do the best we could while we were there to continue to bring peace to the region. So I was very lucky in that aspect. You, you, you said a couple of times, you know, things like well-read, well-spoken. I mean, you know, a, a number of those comments. Are, are these things that you equate with, with great leadership? What did you, what did you learn? And t- tell, me, tell me a little bit about the, the men themselves. I mean, you know, what were they, what were they like as leaders? How did they, how did they work with their groups? What, you know, what, what made them great? What helped them get to the level that they were at? Well, maybe it's, maybe it's a bias because I am a history major. And I don't know if Generals uh, Mattis and, and Kelly are history majors, but they were very well read. And by that, that doesn't mean just history. That doesn't mean just military history. That means world politics, uh, economics, culture, society, demographics, and the areas they're going to they're be working in. And it gave them a lot of context to the environment they'd be serving in and the people they'd be working with. And then I also found them to be very good listeners. They asked good questions. They asked tough questions. And they allowed you to continue to speak and probably speak too much. Um, but they took that in and they absorbed that. And that, that added to their knowledge base to then they could then 
lead from that aspect, whether it was direction on planning, whether it was guidance on you as a leader and for your subordinates and your team or your peers, but they digested all that and then provided their direction. Well, give me an example of how they, um, how they might've coached you, how, how they might've um, gave, gave you guidance, as you said, on your leadership. What, what were some things that maybe some, some direct levels of guidance that you, re- you received during your time there? Oh, uh, one was a really easy one. General Kelly once, when I was a senior planner, as we were getting ready to head back to Iraq in 2008, and so I was supervising everything, whether it was development of the police force or the economy to, you know, actual combat operations, developing that plan for, for General Kelly. And we had a plan coming together, and we had some questions for the general, and we posed those questions to them. And he sat there for, you know, a couple, couple seconds, probably seemed longer to us, and he came back with, why do I have to make those now? Why now? I mean, obviously you want me to make those now, but why do I, what if I make them in a month? What do I gain? What do I lose? And we sat there sort of like I'm doing now, just blinking my eyes thinking, well, that's a really good question. <laughs> but it, you know, I can't remember the exact answer at the time. I think we didn't require the general to answer a question because we really couldn't require him to do anything. He's the general. But as we thought about it, we're like, no, sir, you're right. It's, we can't, we can delay this decision. We're not going to lose anything. And actually we should gain some information. So it doesn't, while it might be easier and comfortable for us to do it now, but I think you can have a better decision if you delay this to another date and we can help you define what that might be. So it just gave us better understanding as to what we're asking, not only of our subordinates, of our peers and what our senior officers are to think through why now? What do we need to do that? You know, it's, it's, I think it's even more like empathetic. Think through the person that you're asking to make that decision. Be empathi- empathetic to them so they can think about that and give you a good answer. How do you think that's affected you in, in, in the workplace today, you know, outside the Marine Corps? I mean, how's that, how's that affected your style of leadership, that why now mentality? Well, for me, it's, it's, I sort of use it in two ways. I've, I've asked the same question when I'm asked that. Do you need the answer right now? When do you need it? When will you need it by? But I also ask people to think about that. So if I'm developing leaders or I have peers or I have people that are working for me, I have them think about, you know, okay, we need to do this. Well, when do we need, you know, getting that time down to it. How much time do we need? How much time do they need to execute the plan or do whatever we're asking them to do? Do we gain more information? So it's something I've really turned around and used for people to think through when they're asking questions if they need information. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because um, we've often said that one of the most powerful tools a leader has in, in their, um, their toolkit, if you will, um, is the question, what, I don't know, what do you think, right? So exactly. in, in a way, you know, by, by saying, do I need to, to, to decide now, you're, you're kind of challenging them to go out and think about it. Now, does it, when, when you say, do I need to give an answer now, is, was there an impact? Is, is there kind of an implicit thought that they need to go and rethink this and think it through or, or are you just basically delaying to the decision to be made to a later point? No, it's, it's primarily around having them rethink the question, having them go back because when they think of the timing of that answer, then they're going to start to pull little threads of that question and start pulling out little facts and they're going to start to get a deeper understanding of what they're looking for probably nine times out of 10, they're going to answer it themselves. Or they're going to come to you with, this is when I need the answer. These are the two or three ways I'm leaning towards. Um, and to get, sort of give you those suggestions, and pretty much they're going to answer a lot of it for themselves. A lot of the details around that, you might say yes, no on a certain specific direction, but they'll have the rest of the plan already built out in their head. So it's, it's a great way for them to understand. Yeah. So in, instead of the 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 leader, in the case of your military example, being the general, or um, or just in the workplace where it could be the CEO, the president, or even just the, the the area manager, by doing this, we're actually pushing some accountability down. We're causing people to take action at a level, and we're really delegating that down to them versus being the answer person all the time. We have often said that the person who gives the answer actually owns the accountability because then they go out and do what you told them to do. And if it's successful, great. But if it's not, then, then who owns the failure? The person who followed the direction or the person who gave the direction. So it's, it's important in business to, to move that decision downward. And sounds like this was something that you learned under General Kelly and, and others early on in your career. 
Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're helping their decision-making process to think through the problem at a deeper level. It's, it's very similar to sort of removing yourself from meetings. You know, if the boss, you know, air quotes, is always in the meeting, then a lot of times when ideas are discussed, they're going to sort of look over at you to see what, how you're leaning or nodding towards or whatever. If you're not there, they have to work through that problem. They have to go through the details of it. And then if it does require your decision and input, they can then come to you with, you know, a, a more well thought decision that they, you're going to ask them that question. Well, what, is you, what do you and your team think? How have you guys developed it? Well, we think this makes sense. I think it does too. Let's go that way. So yeah. you're, you're developing the decision-making and this affirming that, yeah, that's right. It's funny. Actually, I just had that conversation with, um, with, with a gentleman I work with recently and, and he just, you know, I don't know, maybe he's got too much time on his hands, but I like the freedom, you know? Um, so he goes to a lot of meetings and, and then he, he said to me the other day, he said, why is it that whenever I'm in the meeting, it seems like I'm always the one that has to make the call, you know? And it's, 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 I mean, come on, you're, you're the boss. So people, people defer. You're not enabling the behavior. He said, yeah, but they, they, they call me in. They want me there. I said, because they don't want the accountability. They want to, they, they want you to tell them what to do. They want, they want exactly. the easy path, right? I said, try this. The next time um, you get called into one of those, walk in, say, I've got five minutes. Um, what's the issue? And when they, when they give you the issue, just say, okay, well, tell me, when are you going to solve this problem by? And when are you going to yeah, give me the a, feedback on it? And, and literally just, just put it right back in and then walk out. And, and so I talked to him. He said, wow, that worked really well. I said, yeah, it does. It does. If you've got smart people, if you've got people you trust, if you've got people you don't trust, that's another problem. Then you've got to go out right. and find people that you do. But if you've got smart people and people you trust um, out there doing it, let them do their work and, and don't enable the behavior. No, exactly. It, it's not to stick with sort of a military analogy, but when you, or I guess this is a naval analogy, but it's very much the, the, the captain of the ship. I mean, you're not driving the ship. You have people that do that. You have a team that's coming together to do that, but you give subtle direction and guidance, especially the more that team is trained and developed. They make their own. We need to get from here to there. Okay, they can figure that all out. They're more than capable. And if you've developed them to work through that decision-making process and come up with a plan, then periodically you might just provide some guidance you're aware and sort of staying attuned to what's going on on the day-to-day and how the environment's changing and then you just provide that subtle guidance periodically because they're basically driving the ship literally so uh here's a little side question so you mentioned that um general kelly was a great listener and and yes the, the kind of one of the common marks of the leaders the great leaders you've been were great listeners um and the, the, the second comment that you, you mentioned, you said, and sometimes they let us talk and sometimes they let us talk too much. Was there ever an occasion that you talked too much, got yourself in trouble for something? Um, I don't know if I've necessarily gotten myself in trouble, but I've definitely uh, talked too much. And I think even more recently in the private sector, is I, I've come across, not so much me, but I'm sure I have done it. I'm trying to think we're you start talking about the sort of the internal issues of whatever is going on. I mean, you know, sort of airing your dirty laundry, you know, they don't need to hear that. They don't, they don't need to know how you're making the donuts. They just want the donuts. That was the question that was desired. They need you to go out there. They expect you as a, as a leader to be able to take care of that within your team and your, your team to be able to execute accordingly. Um, but I've had several uh, people that I've worked for actually one of, one of my more recent uh, bosses was excellent that way. Just, a nice, well-thought question, and then let you go. And, and people would have loved watching. I learned it eventually, or pretty quickly, I think. People would just run. They would just run, and then he would sit there and listen and absorb. And it was, there was quiet. And we always, we always used to tell people, you got to embrace the silence. Don't, don't fill the silence, just embrace it. Because people will go back and fill and fill, and then you just you, you lose your answer, you lose your train of thought, you make your comment or input you know, less relevant, just embrace the silence, say what you mean, say what you want, have it thought out, and then go forward from there. Yeah, watch out for that that TMI, the too much information, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, so, you know, I want to get into some of the, more of the military stories. We're, we're starting to bump up on, on our time for our, our next, um, uh, for our first commercial break. But before we go there, maybe one other, you know, quick question for you. Um, 
in that time working for General Kelly, let's just go back to, if there was one lesson that you learned back then that you still put into practice with your work today, what would that lesson be? Uh, the easiest lesson was General Kelly was always out and about with his, with his organization, his unit, his, the group that he commanded. He, that's how he got information. You know, he had studied and learned. He had created the internal context to frame his decision-making. He provided his guidance to a team that he trusted. I, I feel he trusted me in direction to sort of manage that day-to-day and how things were linking together. And then he was gone. You had to chase him down. Uh, he was anywhere and everywhere just getting that, that, that hands-on feel, that touch for the environment, talking to young Marines, young soldiers, you know, young Iraqi privates and policemen and, and the tribe's leaders just out there gathering, pulling in all of it, again, listening, just listening, just going out and asking a question, stepping back and letting them talk and just taking all of that with what we were providing, with the context he had, and then he was able to make very timely and very effective decisions. And it, it, the proof was in the pudding as to how we performed out there. But he was, you had to to have a bell on him and a tracking beacon because he was out all the time just engaging with everybody to get a, the best feel he possibly could for the environment so he could make the best decisions to uh, keep everybody out of harm's way and do the best for the Iraqi population. Wow, that uh, sounds like a great lesson. Um, I want to go deeper into that when we come back from the break. So, um, folks, stay tuned. We will be back in just a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. So we're back with Rob Durier. Um, Rob, so, you know, just before we went to the break, I mean, you know, you, you shared something. We used to call that management by walking around, you know, the, the, the highly visible leader in the team. There is, is a support structure. I mean, I don't get the impression from your conversation that he was out dictating everything that needed to be done every minute. He wasn't, he wasn't a command and control, but he was really acting from a sense of leadership. Would you agree oh, with that? Oh, yes. No, he wasn't out there to micromanage by any sense. He was out there to get the best information possible. And then more importantly, again, we talked about that empathy side. General Kelly listened. He learned. And then if you were there, his, his commander on the spot, and you had a question, he could answer it very quickly and give you a response and then just allow you to operate in a, more, in a faster manner and really turn around results quicker. So he didn't do it just for him to gather information so he could pass you know, dictums from on high. He did it so he could better service his subordinate leaders so they could execute in an even faster manner. Yeah, you know, that, that's, that concept of speed, that's something we don't often think about. I mean, when, um, when the person at the top is the manager, meaning that they're making all the decisions, they're controlling everything, the speed really slows down because decisions aren't made where they're supposed to. I mean, 
we don't want to have to be continually trying to track somebody down for an answer when the action can just be taken in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I remember the Marine Corps used to always talk about, well, we're empowering our junior leaders to do this. I'm like, well, I never like to say that because empowering means that you've taken that responsibility away from them. And now that you're giving them back in some sort of you know, benevolent manner, you empower them by training them. You empower them by giving them these opportunities to make decisions, develop their decision-making skills, learn, make mistakes, and do that so that when you actually have to need them in a very timely environment, in a very dramatic environment, call it combat operations or whatever, then they can do that. If, it's that, if that's the first time that you're empowering them, you're way late and you're probably not going to get the results you, you want. Yeah, so, so you know, to me, that's a, it's, it's a very um, important root piece of culture. Right. Every, there's culture everywhere. So a lot of times we talk about it and people say, well, what kind of culture do you have in the Marines? There's no culture. There's culture everywhere. The question is, is whether the culture is designed and reinforced and driven in an intentional way. And in the military, it is. I mean, whether people realize it or not. And I, I think thanks to, you know, the movies and media today, people who've never been in the military might have a certain image as to what it's like. You know, I, I get a very, very different image from the people that I talk to. Tell me a little bit then about what kind of culture he created and the culture that you had there, of how you guys interacted, how you guys worked together. General, General Kelly was, uh, was wonderful in that way. I mean, you, like you said, Chris, you'll have a culture. Whether you want it or not, there will be a culture. You know, you can take a proactive role in developing it and in maintaining it and improving it and growing it and making sure it's pervasive throughout the environment and throughout your team, or you can ignore it, but you'll have a culture no matter what. General Kelly was very proactive on, he stressed education, he, he stressed ownership. He wanted people to learn, he wanted people to study, he wanted people to listen. You know, he listened, he, he learned, and then he provided his advice. That's what he wanted you to do with the people that you worked for. Um, and he, he did that on a daily basis. That's, he, that's how he lived it. And that was great for us. And we had as his senior planner at the time, and we had tremendous freedom. He trusted us. I briefed his plan. Well, he said it was my plan, just with some of his guidance. So he went out and said, no, you brief my generals. You brief my colonels. You brief my... I was like, okay, sir, no problem. You can answer the questions. You can answer them better than I can. You, it's literally your plan. I'm like, well, it's a fair amount of direction from yourself, sir, and conversations together. But he's like, no, you own this, Rob. It's all yours. You can run with it, and I trust you on it. And if there's anything that comes out, just talk to me about it, or I'll hear about it, and that's fine. And he probably wasn't going to let anything really truly crash and burn, but um, but when he had confidence and trust, it was a lot easier to let go and allow you to do what you needed to do. Oh, absolutely. I was playing with a safety net. He had my back, and his his subordinate commanders also knew if they had a question and they were talking to me about it, we could be very open, open about it, but they also knew where a lot of the direction had come from on behind. And if it was something that, that was a real rub, they knew... I wasn't going to be in the position to, to make that level of call. Maybe. And they would just talk to the general on the side afterwards because they knew he listened. They knew he was involved. They knew he had all the background on it. And so we'd go from there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because, you know, I think about an analogy. I actually, we, we talking with somebody yesterday and we were talking about, you know, how do you as a leader let people fail, but fail in a manner that's educational. And, and, and I always think of the example of you're trying to teach your kid to ride a bicycle and you can, pack them full of pillows and they won't feel anything if they fall down, but will they really, you know, really learn? And I said, if you really hypermanage your kid, you're, you're, you're never going to let go of the bicycle. You're always going to hold on to it. Right. And, and the kid's Absolutely. never going to learn how to ride the bike, but once you let go, that's when they can really learn. And maybe they'll skin their knees. Maybe they won't, but that that's when they're going to learn. Of course, we're not going to let them ride their bicycle, not be able to stop it out into a heavily trafficked street. Right. There's there is a point where where every leader has to step in and, and draw a line. But, you know, that that freedom's important. And, and you know, just just for the listeners out there, if you really pay attention to what, what Rob's saying, I mean, you know, I, I think we could get lost in the military examples per se. But these apply 100 percent to our business worlds today and really our, even our personal worlds. What does it really mean to be a leader? Right. What does it really, really mean to be a leader? And that's, that's, that's where we're going. So, you know, I, I, I want to hear some stories. I, I, always, I always love hearing some good stories. Um, 
you know, uh, share with me a, a, a story of leadership in action from back then that was a really great educational experience for you and, um, and you got some success. And then I, I want to hear about a failure. I want to hear about something that went south. <laughs> okay, Chris. Um, well, again, we'll, we'll stick to the homage to, uh, you know, General Kelly here, I guess. Um, but it, again, he was a tremendous leader to work for and a great way to sort of finalize the end of my career. But uh, so we've been working together for well over a year now. We're already in Iraq. Uh, things are going well. Uh, actually, we're starting to use the term um, catastrophic success. It was hard to keep up with the success we were having and just trying to keep um, supporting the teams as best as possible that were out there doing the job. And one day I, I got a note from General Kelly's aide, a close friend as well. And he he's like, hey, the general needs to talk to you. I'm like, okay. So I chased him down somewhere on the camp. And General Kelly's like, I have, a, I, have a problem. I have a problem out west. Well, out west for us was on the Syrian border. He's like, I have a problem out west. And I've, I've relieved the senior officer and the senior enlisted in this border transition team right on, right on the Euphrates River, this little town called Al-Qaim, uh, it just, it was the, it was the highway, and I mean at international level, interstate highway of all the bad stuff coming into Iraq uh, out of Syria. Everything was just trafficking this way. Um, they've been fired. They're no longer there. There's a team of 12 and a couple interpreters out there, and I need you to go out there, and I need you to go out and fix it. And I was like, okay, sir. You know, I really, and it was a question, but it really wasn't a question, but I was excited to do it. And... You know, I'm like, when do you need this? And he's like, there's a helicopter coming this evening. So I, there's about six hours at this point. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, let me get my stuff together. And again, I just sort of touched base with the generals. We we're standing there. I'm like, what do you need me to do, sir? And he's, he looked at me. He's like, I, I need you to fix it. They're, they're leaving. They're going back home in about five months. I've got two different units coming in to replace them. We're going to split the area in half. You know the area is bad. The morale's down. It, I need you to fix it. I was like, okay, roger that, sir. Um, I got it, and I'll figure it out from there. <laughs> so quick question for you. Did you, um, did you ever find out why they got fired? You know, because I, I think about military, right? And I think, oh, how do you fire somebody in the military? They've signed on for a period of time. I mean, but obviously, like anything else, like any business, you got somebody who's not performing. You've got to take them out of the role, and you've got to move them on. And so what does firing look like, and, and, and what was going on that, that – caused these these people to not be the right people yeah they, they were brought back to some camp i don't know i never saw them um and they were basically phone flown home and then the, the records were shown accordingly that they've been relieved uh, of command in combat which is not a good thing uh, it's never good anyways but it's even worse if, you're, if it's in combat operations i i had heard and i didn't get into it with anybody i didn't ask the general or others i had heard um through sort of what we call the rumor mill everyone always hears that they had they were sort of for lack of a better term cowboys they didn't mm. want to follow the rules they didn't want to support each other um i had even heard they might have been in going into syria maybe uh with some of the vehicles um but they they were they were cowboys in an environment that we did not need cowboys and they were putting people at risk for absolutely no reason and the call was made so um utilizing what i would call is like a um a mod, more modern term, you know, I, I would, I would consider that these are people that were not showing the core values. They didn't have the core values of um, the Marine Corps of the operation of the team in, in, in play. I mean, they were acting contrary. It was who they were, but it wasn't a good fit for the organization at that particular point in time. It wasn't good, good fit for the team and for the operation. So they had to go. Oh, absolutely. It was completely selfish. It was a, a neat way for them to try and garner some fame or some action or you know, get in the mix, just whatever, whatever it was, you know, be, be cowboys and do whatever they wanted to do. And the senior enlisted advisor was put in a bad situation and wasn't able to stop the, the senior officer running it. And so I think the general felt it was best to sort of take away both of them, not just the uh, senior officer that was running it. So they kind of got their fame, maybe just not what they, uh, what they were expecting. Well, they got fame, all right. Yeah, they got fame, but it, it wasn't what they wanted or, or desired. And it was not good for, wasn't good for the Marines. It wasn't good for the Iraqis they were supporting and the local Marine units that were out there. And it wasn't, it wasn't it just, it wasn't a healthy environment by any stretch. Yeah. I mean, in, in the work world today, you know, we, we preach so heavily about core values and I think I've probably talked about that so far on every, every one of the, our episodes, but 
Somebody who doesn't have the core values, they're not aligned to the organization's core values, will sooner or later do something contrary. I mean, you can't, you can't adjust your style all the time. Your natural style, natural person always comes out. And they'll do something contrary, and it creates a problem. Now, I'm not making a judgment on whether people are, are good or bad people. Okay, your values are your values. They've been with you since you were very, very young and, um, and established at a young age. They are who you are. They, they, they drive your operating system. And um, in doing so, the natural self, especially under stress, will, will come out. If that's not a good fit, then the people need to be moved off. I'm not making a judgment whether they're a good or bad person. I am making a judgment as to whether they're a good or bad fit for the organization, for the team, et cetera. And this sounds like it was clearly, it was a fit issue here. No, that's, that's spot on, Chris. I mean, that's, that's a common conversation. They don't, they don't need my or yours judgment as to who they are as a, as a, as a human being. That, that's not what we're there for. But are they the right fit? Um, and these, these two were not the right fit. It was a bad combination and did not serve the team well. And in that environment, your ability to sort of allow for maybe a longer term of development to go on and see if you can do that just wasn't there and they'd been given the, the freedom and the, they weren't able to do it, to lead accordingly. Um, so yeah, we, General Kelly, you know, fixed the, fixed the issue, and fixed the addressed issue. the problem. And sometimes a leader has to step in, manage and make it happen. Okay. So you guys went in, you had success, obviously you got things turned around. How, how about, how about that, that, that other story, you know, what, tell me one that went south and something you learned from it. Uh, what is something that went south and, and learned from it? Um, these are the stories we try to tend to forget. Well, against the, the best one I have is, is when I was a, a younger officer, um, actually the Chris Homewood, the one who introduced us, uh, he and I were working, uh, together and I showed up down in, in the, at the Marine Corps recruit depot in San Diego. I've been a, a platoon commander, young, young infantry officer, lieutenant, been in Somalia, been back. I was an advisor in Saudi Arabia. I was doing my stuff and I was doing well. Um, to be honest, I, it sounds like I'm talking myself up, but naturally, I naturally had a level of talent that I was, I was doing pretty good. But that came naturally. And I show up down at the recruit depot and I'm just thinking I'm good enough and I'm you know, doing okay. And one of the senior enlisted that I had actually worked with before, uh, he basically, for lack of a better term, called me out. He's like, you know, sir, you're, you are a good officer. You've got a lot of talent. But the people you're leading down here, they need, they expect, and you owe them more. And I was like, I felt, I mean, that was like getting a, I, I boxed for, for about 10 years. I felt like getting punched right in the chest. I mean, it just knocked my air out. And, and I had an extreme amount. I had deployed with this gentleman, uh, and he was a senior enlisted. Uh, he was a first sergeant at the time. I had deployed with this gentleman to Somalia. We'd been in operations there for about eight months and knew him quite well. And I was just dumbfounded. And he's like, sir, you are good, but you need to do more. You know, you need to be a student of your profession. You need to be a student of leadership. You, you, these are the best of the best. These are drill instructors. I mean, they're killing themselves to put out the best product in three months to provide to our Marine Corps. You, need, you owe them more. And I, even when I think about it now, I feel a little flushed. I mean, I, I remember hearing that, and that was not something you wanted to hear. And I had to turn it around, and I had to turn it around immediately. For the, uh, for the listeners out there, so the, the way we do these recordings, especially when somebody's remote, Rob is remote today, uh, we're in two different spots. So I, I'm, I can watch him via, um, via video feed, and, and the sound obviously comes through. So I'm, I'm watching Rob as he tells the story. He's wearing a red shirt, and he's about as red as his shirt right now. Literally, when he said he was getting flushed, I see that, that flush really, really coming in. And, and I'll tell you, it, there's nothing like feedback on the spot, is there? Oh, yeah. No, there's, there's nothing like it. It's, it. It drives home, especially when it's thought through. And you're, you're, you're not doing it in a, you're, you're not doing it in a judging manner. It's just a more of a matter of fact comment. You know, here's where you are, builds a person, you're better than this. You owe more to it and you can do this and you need to do it and you need to do it like yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, time flies. We're, we're already up on our next break. So we're going to, we're going to take a quick commercial break here. We'll come back um, with Rob as soon as we're back. But it's time, let's move away from the military examples and let's get into to what you've been doing since then because there's a lot of leadership that you've put into play in your roles and uh, we want to hear a little bit about that. So folks, we will be back in just one minute. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back for our final segment with, with Rob Durier. Rob, um, it, this is really, it's been great. I love the military examples. That's always good. And since you've kind of, I don't know, this is technically you retire, right? When, when you leave the, yes. the Marine Corps yeah. Yes. Um, or any, any armed force. Um, so since you've left, since you've retired, what, tell me a little bit more about how you've now taken what you've learned and put into play. What were some of the bigger jobs that you've had since then? How long has it been, yeah. by the way? Well, I retired in 2010, so it's been uh, almost years. exactly uh, 10 years. Yeah, wow. Okay, and so I know you you had a, a stint at Target. That was that was that was kind of one of the, one of the longer lived roles. Um, right. When I when I retired and went to get my MBA at Wake Forest, the Target hired me. That's what brought me to Iowa. I was uh, one of the senior leaders running uh, one of their bigger distribution centers here in uh, in Iowa. And how how do you like Iowa, by the way? It's it's really great. I've never lived in the Midwest. My dad was in the Navy, so it was always on the coast. Um, the, the people are great. Uh, my, my wife's Canadian, so we're super close to her family up in, uh, in Winnipeg, in Manitoba. Oh, yeah. Just straight so north. that's in 12 hours. Some people don't think that's close, but for us, that, I, I think that's an easy, easy day's drive. But no, I've really enjoyed it. It's a, and you're centrally located to everything, so you get to see a lot. Oh, that's great. So, um, so Target brought you there, and you yes. were at ta- Target quite a while. So, so, well, so why did Target even hire you? you know, we, we talked about this the other day, too. I mean, everybody has the image, again, thanks to media and movies that you know the military might be you know a lot of gung-ho guys who suffer from ptsd and all kinds of other issues and and yet um every military person in leadership that i have met in organizations seem to be really high performing leaders so there's a lot that you carry forward there well i mean all i knew is what i'd known for the past 20 years on how to lead i I remember when i was going through the hiring process i was in minneapolis and the senior director for all the distribution centers, uh, he wasn't interviewing me that day. I went through the, the, his, his three subordinates. And then as I was walking out, getting ready to leave, the person taking me around was like, hey, you know, this person wants to talk to you. I was like, okay, sure, great. So we went up there. He was outside his office. He was running around busy. I have one question for you. Like, you're thrown into this environment. You know, what are you going to do to lead? How are you going to lead? And... I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to walk around. I'm going <laughs> to meet everybody. I'm going to talk to everybody. I'm going to keep, keep my eyes on what's happening, get a feel for it. But I get, a, I get that feel and what's happening by being out and about in that distribution center and engaging my team, my leaders, and getting a, that feel for the environment. That's, that's how I'm going to do it. He's like, okay. And then I ended up uh, getting offered the job a couple of days later. I don't know if that was the right answer, but that was that was my answer, and I think it's right. So I, I love it when somebody looks at you and just goes, "Oh, okay." You know, it's like <laughs> it's like, "Oh, was that good? Was that bad?" And you know, obviously, truth in interviews are important. So I'm glad that you shared your truth. And so you went out there and you did exactly what you said you were going to do. And so 
did you feel yourself being drawn into management at all, or, you know, and having to command and control, or, or were you really able to empower your team? And what did that look like at, at, at Target? How do, you, how do you drive true empowerment, you know, on a distribution operation? I, I think, you know, I think it's, it's exactly the same, honestly. You, you make sure your team has the knowledge. You make sure your team has the training. You make sure your team is, is given the tools and the support the support to make those decisions. And if they're waiting for you and trucks are coming in and out and stuff is, you know, not getting in uh, an appropriate time, then you're delaying them. If they know, if they know your priorities, if they've been trained to, to look at the right things to make the right decisions and you back them up, then things will happen extremely quickly. And if you're out there on the floor and you're engaging with your team, then you're going to know in a very timely manner when there's problems. It's no, no different. It's just a different environment. You know, I'm in a distribution center um, in combat operations. Yes, yeah, same same difference. So, um, did everybody get it? So, I mean, you know, I, I, I always say there's three three groups of people. When, when, when you go in and either a leader changes or you change a strategy, you start moving and you try to improve things. You got you got the people who get it, you know, and, and they're gonna get it, and they're they're really strong. They're they're your A players. They're your your top people. And then you have a, a group of people that have the really high potential to to, to get it. They're not there yet. They might need some coaching. They might, you know, need a little bit of time experience, uh, maybe a little handholding. They might have to try some stuff, but, but, but we know we can get them over the, the, the finish line and get them where they need to be. And then there always seems to be this group, and, and most of the time it's small, though I have seen a few situations where this was a big group. But you have this, this smaller group of people that, you know what, they're just never going to get it. No matter what we try, what we do, they're going to keep trying to delegate up. They're going to keep trying to drive for answers. They want to be directed, and they're just – they're they're just not going to get it. Uh, did you, did you have any of that? Was it, was it a big struggle? Was it a little struggle? No, I had, I had all of that. And I fundamentally agree with your assessment on that, Chris, you, you, you do get those groups. I, I think I don't want to say that I do it too fast when I come into these environments. I'm extremely transparent. I delegate decision-making and down quickly. Uh, maybe I just pulled the bandaid off too quick or something. So some people get it, take it really quick and run with it. But you have to change that environment if that's not the environment they have. And then you have to give them the training to support it. And you have to be there to backstop them and help them. So I don't just, you know, walk out the door and let them do whatever. But I, I help them develop that. But I do it very quickly. And some for some people, it's very unsettling. So, yeah, across the board, some people got it. Some people didn't. Some people ran with it. And you're holding them back saying, whoa, 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 that's a little too, too fast. Um, so you had all of that, definitely. Did um so so um obviously when when they don't get it you you have to do something with those people I mean you you either move them out of the organization or off the team or whatever so we won't go into those details but um did this become I, I mean is is this something that was already part of the the target culture or is this something that's that that was becoming part of the, the target culture back then because I mean I hear great things about the organization I myself have never had any direct interaction but. Everybody I've ever talked to that works for him just tells me how great the culture is. Um, I, I was in one building. There, there's upwards of 30 plus buildings, distribution centers. There's 1,900 plus stores. There's headquarters, things like that. So for me to say it's, it's part of the target culture, I, I, I compared it again to the Marine Corps. Um, the Marine Corps has an overall culture. So I do think it is part of it. Um, but different subordinate units take a culture of that of those leaders and how they've been led. Um, unbeknownst to me, when I was put into that building, my senior leadership, the top two were eventually fired. They were actually sort of going in that direction. Yeah. When I got there, this was a turnaround building and I was not known to me when I showed up. Ah, so um, they kind of sprung that one on you. So they sort of, they sort of left not long after I got there, probably about less than six months. And then after a little over a year, I was this, I think I was the second most senior person, tenured person there. And then in about 18 months, I was the most tenured senior leader there. Um, so it was a steep learning curve from that aspect, but that, it wasn't something they were used to there. It was more directive, more top down for all kinds of different matters. I know the person who was, who was fired and he's a good person. And so there was a lot of other stuff going on and I wasn't aware of all of that type of stuff, but they weren't comfortable with that type of environment when I brought that in. Um, and it wasn't just like, I don't know what the external was, but the team wasn't comfortable with that. They, yeah. Well, okay. So it wasn't what they were used to at that time. You, I don't know that you had much, um, interaction with, with, uh, external leadership from target, but 
18 months later, if you're in charge of the building, you are interacting with external mm-hmm. leadership. What, what feedback were you getting from them? It was, I mean, everyone was very supportive of that type of culture. I mean, if, if you want to, if you want to grow your team from within and you want to have your subordinate leaders growing into next level leaders in the same up and up and up and be able to do that, then that's what you want. So, you know, 99% of the feedback was, was always positive around the leadership style. You know, the rest of it was just making sure that that was then translating into the performance metrics out on the floor. Well, and it sounded like, again, and we kind of sound like a broken record sometimes, but you know, great leadership, you know, delegates in a manner so that each person they're delegating to is clear about the results. And then people are kind of empowered or given the freedom to act within the confines of company policy and laws and all that, but given the freedom to act to achieve those results. It sounds like that's the kind of environment you worked under. It sounds like the, 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 the upper management from you, were not coming in and trying to micromanage and tell you how to run your facility. It's just like, Rob, go do this. Here's what we expect. This is, you know, these are the numbers. This is what we expect. You go do this and, and we're going to hold you accountable to it. Is, is that, is that about the right assessment? Yeah, no, very much so. It was, it, I felt it was that way. And, and, uh, and sometimes it could change a little bit by person, but for the most part, overall in the organization, it was here, we, you know, here's go out and, and lead your team the way you need to. And then let's, uh, let's have the success that we desire and that, that we've all signed up for. So I'm also very happy when I look back at the team that I led as into the success they've had subsequently. They're in senior leadership positions now. Um, and a lot of people, and I'm not trying to you know, talk myself up, but a lot of my peers that are no longer in that building, um, they don't have those junior leaders they were developing if, if they were developing them in senior leadership positions now. So there's got to be something to it. I mean, there were a couple of people that I think Target has sort of given up on, or at least the people at that time had sort of given up. Oh, no, they made some mistakes earlier on. Those people are in senior leadership positions now, yeah. and they're doing amazing things. And I'm like, you know, you need to train them. You need to give them the opportunity. You need to give them the skills to do that. You can't just, you know, wash your hands of them. Yeah, absolutely. And so recently now, and recently being, you know, I think quite recently, you've decided it's, it's time to kind of do your own thing. You've made the choice, and so so. Tell me a little bit about the decision factor and and the shift um, to to having your own business now. And what are you doing to help the 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 organizations out? Where are you focusing your energy from teaching the leadership pieces of this? Sure, Chris. After after leaving Target, I spent some time in another company locally, which was great. Some exceptional leaders, and but I kept having this desire to to do more. Is to uh, I always used to say, you know. I want to positively affect the most amount of people possible. And I was coming to a decision, like, how do I do that then? How do I do that? And I remember probably about a year ago, listening to a podcast, oddly enough, um, um, Chris Holmwood, he did a different one. And he was talking about these three things, his, his uh, desire, to, to <clears throat> desire to listen, desire to learn, desire to lead. And that hit home. And, and I reflected on my own career, my own path, and my own style. I was like, that makes sense. That's, that's what I've been doing. That's how I've been trained. That's what I love to do. And that's how you should do it. So after talking to Chris, we, I came up with three D's and that's for the you know, desire to, you know, listen, learn and lead and, and in that order, really very much in that order. And so now I can start, I started my own consulting company and using uh, Chris Homewood as well as, uh, has, has helped out a lot in that way. And our mission is to help companies, you know, exceed their customers' uh, expectations and on a daily basis. And it, it's, you know, it sounds a bit squishy, but getting them to do that is, is having a better understanding of their customer, asking those questions, you know, what are your expectations of us? How are we meeting those? Or are we asking the same thing? I turn customer around, I say, I say internally, look at your internal customer, your team. What do you expect from me? How am I delivering? And then that coaching and mentoring to help that happen. And lastly, do you have the processes in place to hire, retain, train, develop, coach, uh, the accountability measures, the job descriptions? What is your, you know, your annual review process, your monthly review process look like? Having that structure to then maintain that and grow that. So I've had the privilege to be doing that since uh, the fall of last year. Slowed down a little bit with COVID, but still having uh, good opportunities with it. So it's, it's, it's you know, I mean, it sounds like the 
a lot of your work like ours is heavily focused on people, right people in, wrong people out. But it's not enough just to have a good system to hire and find the right people. It's not enough to have a good system to take people who are a bad match for your organization, you know, out. Um, you really have to nurture and grow the people that are within your organization. It's got to be just a heavy, heavy focused and, and a drive. We want, we want highly engaged people. We want people that drive results. We want people that love where they are and they're passionate about it. So, you know, they have to be um, not just aligned to the core values, but aligned to purpose. And so you touched on a purpose statement. You said help as many people as possible, which actually is very similar to our purpose statement. I mean, that's, that, that, that's our goal here. And you can only do that through, through kind of um, having a method of exponential growth, right? So, Absolutely. So, you know, organizations, the way that you can, you can help there is, is, is also by, by helping them be clear about their purpose. And, and more people that are aligned and driven by their purpose, they're going to, um, you know, they're going to be better employees. They're going to be more engaged in their work. And we know there's been tons of research that higher engagement generates just better culture, better results. No, ab- absolutely. I mean, on the military side, having been a planner, having taught planning, and then got an advanced degree in planning, everything came down to purpose. You had a mission statement, and the, there was stuff at the front, but the back half was the was the purpose, and that was enduring. It never changed. You know, my civilian reading you, or private sector reading, uh, I, I enjoy reading uh, Simon Sinek a lot and some others, and it's, it's purpose, the why. You have to give them context for why they're doing things, and then you have to give them the training to do that. You, you know, you can't hope that they get there on it. You have to their head should hurt by the time they leave your organization or go home for the day, just from all the information and the knowledge you're trying to push in there. Uh, I used to always joke, and I still use the term, you know, you should be trying to work yourself out of a job. You know, the, the captain of the ship does not drive the ship, does not run the engine plant, does not steer it, does not lift the sails or do any of that. People do that everywhere because they're taught how to do that and have those skills. You just provide that subtle direction. They know where to go. The, the ship's going to get there. It will if you've done the training, if you've put the pe- right people in the right positions. If you've done the training, if you've put the people in the right decisions. I hope everybody's understanding that this is this is a key theme. I mean, transformation is about transforming other people and transforming self. I mean, and what better transformation than to grow, learn, and get better at what we do? Training equals preparedness. Training drives engagement. You know, there's very few things. I mean, once in a while, you're going to get that 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 person that's just not going to be a good fit. They're they're not going to have the right attitude or whatever. But most people really want to do good work. Most people want to be given the freedom to 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 help advance their organizations and in turn advance themselves. And um, you know, I think we've heard some great examples today, Rob. I appreciate your being with us today because the examples that you shared really do align very very well with great leadership in business. So. Thank you for your, your time. Thank you for participating. Um, folks, um, glad that you were with us today and listening. And um, we're going to be back next week with another great guest. I look forward to having all of you with us. And um, until then, take care. If you want to get a hold of me, um, there are certainly links tied to the um, radio show from Voice America. Please go ahead and click one of those and you can shoot me an email. We can talk anytime you like. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll talk next week. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.